from the headquarters of the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies in Indianapolis, this is NAMIX Insurance Uncovered, the first property casualty insurance podcast offering perspective and insight on top issues facing industry professionals. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, Vice President of Public Affairs here at NAMIC. Today, we're uncovering the career of IBHS President and CEO, Julie Rochman. We talk with her about the lasting impact she'll leave on the insurance industry and the community. Plus, big data leaves big questions for those attending the spring NAIC meeting. Why NAMIC has concerns about the NAIC's level of engagement in insurance rating models. And making a difference. The bold move NAMIC and friends are making to raise money for childhood cancer research. But before we get to all that, I want to take a quick moment to welcome you to our show. Insurance Uncovered is produced by NAMIC's public affairs team. It's a fresh, new way to share important information with NAMIC members. We want to bring you expert interviews on current topics affecting the insurance industry, tell you how to get involved with NAMIC, and uncover top industry news and headlines. So let's get to it. In our nation's capital, lawmakers beat the deadline to pass the latest spending bill. This funding measure includes a short-term extension of the National Flood Insurance Program to July 31st, providing an additional $86 million for flood hazard mapping and risk analysis. The hope in Washington is that the separate and shorter deadline will spur progress toward a long-term reauthorization and reform bill. In the absence of a long-term solution, NAMIC will work with congressional leadership to avoid any lapses in the program. The National Association of Insurance Commissioners wrapped up its spring meeting this week in Milwaukee. One of the major topics for discussion was the use of big data and the level of information being used to identify appropriate insurance rates. NAMIC's Assistant Vice President of International and Regulatory Affairs, Michelle Rogers, was at the meeting to speak with NAIC committee members about its regulating approach. The NAIC has been... um engaging in some several meetings to discuss the use of big data by insurance companies. And um, that use has made insurance rate filings more complex. Um, they have been talking about this for several meetings. And at this meeting, the NAIC decided to move forward with a needs analysis to determine whether the state actually could utilize the NAIC's assistance to unwind the big data models that companies are starting to use to set their rates and using in other aspects of their insurance business. And I know this seems like a weedy issue, but it is big one, a big concern to a lot of our members. Um, the concern we have is that the NAIC's involvement in this issue could infringe on the regulation of the states um, and the work of the states to make sure that um, rates are accurate and um, to go through the approval process with rates. Um, we are concerned that they that the NAIC steps in too much and gets too engaged in this process. NAMIC will continue to argue against excessive NAIC involvement in insurance rate reviews. The only role of NAIC should be to support education and training for state regulators. 
As part of the mutual industry, one thing we're proud of is our dedication to community involvement. Part of that story involves the St. Baldrick's Foundation, which, as many of you know, was founded by three reinsurance executives back in 2000. Since then, as the result of NAMIC President and CEO Chuck Chamnus's own personal experience involving his son's success in beating cancer many years ago, Chuck has led the way in raising money for life-changing childhood cancer research. Last week, Chuck hosted the annual St. Baldrick's event in Indianapolis, where 55 people shaved their heads and raised more than $150,000. Because you want to make a difference? What's your name? Josana. Josana, that is lovely, lovely hair. It's falling on the floor right now. My name is Josana Jean. I have had quite a few actual cancer scares in my life. When I was a baby, my parents were told that there's a possibility of me having cancer. But after tests, they found out I didn't have cancer, and they got that big relief. But I know some parents don't get that relief, so I know this would raise money and make a difference. I couldn't stop shaking just because I was cold. No, I was really nervous, but I knew that... You know, there's no turning back. I got to do this because it's for the it's for all the kids and all the money I raise needs to go to them. And I just really wanted to do this. And when I was up there, it was I was really emotional, but I guess I was too excited to start crying. Alex Lyon, I'm a uh, pediatric hematology oncology fellow. I think for me, it's a kind of incarnational ministry to really experience one aspect of what my patients go through. I had had some new patients a week or two ago, you know, frightened about losing their hair, and I said, you know what, we're going to lose it about the same time together. I'm Caroline, and I'm 13 years old. This was my fourth year. She was diagnosed with cancer when she was, I'm not sure how old, I don't really know the whole story, but she was very little, and it wasn't a big deal because she was going to live, but it was sad to think that people out there are dying because of this and it's awful but we're raising money to help so it counts. I'm kind of a shy person so I'm just like trying to not really interact but it's I just can't stop smiling it's awesome. Bald is beautiful. NAMIC also hosts another head shaving at one of our spring events and this year another longtime friend of the insurance industry decided to rock the bald. Julie Rochman, president and CEO of the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, shaved her head to raise money and then sat down with Chuck Chamnus as part of our new segment on the show called Unscripted. The two execs talked about Julie's St. Baldrick's experience and about her successful career as she prepares for her retirement from the IBHS. It's an exciting time uh, in a lot of ways, Uh, exciting in your life. You come and I see you are a freshly shorn head Dedicating that to St. Baldrick's, uh, just done today at a NAMIC event here at CEO Roundtables. How's it feel? Well, it's cold, mm-hmm. uh, but it is just a wonderful experience to go through. Was, there's a lot of wonderful energy in that room and a lot of generosity of spirit and of pocketbook. And I'm um, just really happy to be a part of helping raise more money to fight childhood cancer. So was it what you expected? I honestly didn't know what to expect. I've, there have been so many people who have been encouraging from our industry, and it's, uh, it's been just a phenomenal experience. But I think being up there, it was just so, it was just so nice. Mm-hmm. It was just a really nice experience. I would definitely do it again. Well, what advice would you have for others considering uh, you know, getting involved with St. Baldrick's? A lot of people in our industry, as you point out, are involved through the contributions. We're the largest contributor of any industry and helped you know, start St. Baldrick's. But... You know, 
you're part of that select group, which are the female shavies. Uh, 10% of all St. Baldrick shavies are women, and it's a special commitment. And uh, so what advice would you have for any shavie going forward? Well, it was, I think one of the things that was really the most special was all the other women shavies who came up to me both before and after, and we took a group photo and just a, a sorority, I guess, of sorts that I've now joined, and I feel really privileged because the, the women who I know who are in that group are all such impressive women already, and the fact that they did that uh, just even makes them more so. So I would say if somebody out there is thinking about shaving, just do it. Just yeah. go ahead and do it. Well, that is good advice, and again, thank you. You've been... Uh, an incredible shavy. Uh, I know in the room we uh, basically got within a couple thousand dollars of fifty thousand your goal, and by the time you finish fundraising and uh, engage more fully with your board and some others in the industry in anticipation of your retirement, which we're going to talk about next, um, you'll be well past that goal, which is you know put you among the top probably twenty uh, shavies in the world, and uh, maybe near the top ten. I haven't looked at the list lately, so we're congratulations. Right past fifty. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So let's talk about IBHS. You joined IBHS in 2007. And of course, uh, we in the industry, and certainly I knew you in advance of that. You worked for a variety of other uh, insurance-related um, you know, associations and research organizations. And you just have an incredible background. and have done so much for this industry. And you're hanging it up um, this, this summer. So how's that feel? Well, uh, people keep telling me at some point I'm going to become disengaged, and I and I feel like it's sort of the opposite, that I'm kind of hanging on with both hands because there's so much to be done and so much I want to do before they pry my hands off the wheel. I recognize that I'm giving this up voluntarily, but the organization and the industry and just our our ability to prevent and reduce losses for people and for businesses and for community is just such a joy that it's. I think it's going to be very weird to wake up on July 1st and not have a formal role in that, although I hope that I will still be involved in some meaningful way. Well, I'm going to come back at the very end to uh, to this topic, but let's get to IBHS because there is work being done, uh, great work uh, for the industry, really for you know America and the world as we look at uh, being more resilient and using the research that you all produce. 2018 Rating the States report uh, came out just last week, and it talks about the uh, progress in 18 hurricane-prone coastal states and, and building codes. Um, and we've got a lot of members that are active in these states, some based in these states. Um, can you give us a sense of what that report uh, says and, and means for our industry? So we look at the 18 hurricane-exposed states from Texas to Maine and grade them on a scale of 0 to 100, the 100 being the best. And they earn points on that scale by, A, having a statewide building code that is preferably one of the last few iterations of the code that the International Codes Council produces. And then we want to make sure that they're enforcing the code. That's a second large element. And then are the people who are living the code, the contractors, the building inspectors, trained and certified so that the homeowners, business owners, actually get what they need from those professionals who are supposed to be making sure that buildings are built Correctly, um, I think the most disappointing thing that we found was not a lot of progress since the last time we issued the report. And in fact, there are some really organized attempts in some states to roll codes backwards. And that would be a, a huge disaster because if the 2017 hurricane season did anything, it put a huge punctuation point on the fact that codes work. You could see that as Hurricane Irma scraped up the Florida Peninsula and the 900,000 or so claims really came from things that codes don't cover or can't prevent, like trees falling, or pool screens, or attached structures coming off of buildings. So we know that codes work. 
We're hoping that this report does going forward what it has done in the past since we started it in 2012, which is to encourage states to compete against themselves. And if they want to compete against others, that's good too. But really just to make the buildings in their jurisdiction stronger and safer. Well, you mentioned 2012 as a reference point. Was that the first report done mm -hmm. uh, like this? How much progress has been made since then, and um, are we satisfied with it? Well, I don't think we're satisfied. The, the states at the top of the list, like Florida, are in the mid-90s. There's not a lot more that they can do, but that's okay because, again, Florida codes work. The states at the bottom are really the ones that we were focused on. In our original report, Mississippi had a score of 4 out of 100, and I don't mm -hmm. care what, what you're looking at. 4 out of 100 is yeah. bad. Yeah. I've had to explain to my kids about uh, grading scales for tests over the years, and uh, even they would agree that four would be not a very good yeah. grade. Four, four was yeah. bad. and so. But to, to their credit, the first call we had when we released the study was from some people in Mississippi who said, what can we do to improve? Uh, they wanted to beat Alabama, not surprisingly, and they've done that. So we have seen some progress off the floor, which is the most important thing, because at the top you're talking about marginal gains. At the bottom of that scale you're really talking about people who are living and working in structures that have no minimum uniform Standard, And that just shocks me when we go out and we talk to people about the fact that there are still states in this country that don't have a statewide building code, which is the legal minimum at which you can get a certificate of occupancy. It's just shocking. So that's really, I think, where we're going to be targeted over the next few years. You know, I've heard you say over the years we need to get Americans to stop looking at mitigation as an expense and more as an investment. Uh, how do you see progress here, and you know, what do you really mean by that statement? So recently, the National Institute for Building Science updated uh, their landmark study that was called Mitigation Saves. This one is called Mitigation Saves 2. And they look at, for every dollar that we invest in mitigation as a society, what is our return? And the first study said, for every dollar you invest, you get $4 in return. That's a pretty good ROI. This time, they expanded the lens a little bit, and they looked at both private and public investments and then the return, and they found a one for every dollar we invest in mitigation. We can actually get a $6 return for the buildings that are built to our fortified standards. It's a $1 invested to $5 return. We think those are probably also low because there are a lot of other types of returns that weren't were calculated. Um, and also, we have a study out of the University of Alabama that shows for homes built to our fortified standards there's an increase in the appraised value of the homes relative to all the comparable homes, all else being held equal. If you have a fortified designation, it adds between 7 and 12 percent to the value of the home. So there are actual tangible proof points that, in, that investment is the right term to use when it comes to mitigation. Wow. Yeah, we need to get those uh, facts and figures out because I really think they can make a difference for homeowners. I mean, at the end of the day, people are deciding how to spend their money and making decisions and working with contractors about uh, how to build their homes and how resilient they'll be. And um, I think some of those statistics really can uh, drive some behavior. So we recently had a, a win in Washington, and we view Build Strong, and I updated our members this week on the work of the Build Strong Coalition, which NAMIC has led since the beginning. Uh, I explained to them that in 2010, with the uh, advent of the Research Center, you know, the work of Build Strong was made uh, possible, really, because up to then it was eyes glaze over conversations about building codes and no illustration. Now we show them little fancy videos that you all produce on our iPads of Category 3 hurricanes blowing houses out the back door. And it's like, whoa, I see how they really work. So we had this uh, win with the CR, uh, the president signing uh, really for the first time a law that will require 
FEMA to assess states' preparation uh, and mitigation and then grade them and make them eligible for additional disaster assistance going forward. Uh, how do you see this as an um, accomplishment uh, or a first step? How would you put this in context? Well, first of all, congratulations. It's, it's never a small thing to get legislation passed in Washington, D.C. It's much easier to kill it mm-hmm. or just to let it expire. But the fact that NAMIC and Bill Strong led this charge so ably and so persistently and diligently over the last few years is really impressive. Um, I think anything that we can do to help shift the way we think about disaster from a response and recovery mindset to a prevention and mitigation mindset is helpful because after every disaster we see just a parade of people of victims going in front of cameras who say i never thought it could happen here or i never thought it would happen to us or we survived this event and we thought we wouldn't have to go through this again and it's just we, we don't have to see those images we can invest more up front and the federal government Uh, for decades has just been shoveling money out the back of Air Force One and paying to rebuild the same structures in the same vulnerable places in the same brittle ways over and over again. If we can start to move those dollars like this new law does so that there's more available for people who want to do the right thing and prevent those losses to begin with, that's a win for everybody in society. And so I, I think that Bill Strong is just getting started. It's always nice to get some points on the board, but it's, it's the beginning of a really terrific trend. Well, Julie, thank you. Um, thanks for all the work over the years with IBHS. Now I'm going to come back to the retirement part because, uh, you know, I've always claimed credit, and I think I deserve at least a little bit because back in 2010, you had a job you were very happy in. It was in Washington, D.C. As you said, I have my dream job, mm-hmm. but IBHS had this opening, and I believe that you were absolutely the person who needed to fill it, and I believe that those beliefs have been uh, borne out in the experience over 10 years and the success around the Research Center and the way you have just turbocharged the IBHS um, mission. So I take that as the past, my view of the past. Now, yes. going forward. What am I going to do next, You are Jack? so young. I was going to say, <laughs> you cannot rule out, like, some future role because, you know, you, we've, we've identified you as someone who can be convinced when the cause is right and the mission is right. We know you're the person, the capable person around our industry who can do so many things. So I'm just asking, you're not fully ruling out uh, some future call to service from this industry that has so much benefited from your past work? No. Um, I, I, I love the property and casualty industry. I would, I would love to be on a board for a company or something just to keep my hand in. Um, but I, whatever you tell me to do, Chuck, apparently that's what I'm going to be doing next. I'll be careful about uh, committing you to anything going forward. Use your power but I agree. wisely. You would be an excellent uh, director of a mutual insurance company. Of course, oh, of they're course. the best Happy kind. And, uh, so, but again... Um, thanks for the time today. Uh, you look uh, lovely with the bald head. You, we are here in sunny Florida, so be careful. Yes. Sunscreen is called for with uh, freshly shorn heads. Uh, thanks for the $50,000 you raised for children's cancer research and more going forward. And thanks for all your work with the industry. Thank you, Chuck. It's been a pleasure. On the next Unscripted, Chuck talks with a professor from Butler University's Successful Risk Management Program about what companies can do to overcome the insurance talent gap and about the exciting new way Butler is giving students real-world experience on campus. That episode is now available for you to listen to on iTunes. Well, that's it for us today. We'd love to have your feedback. If there's something you want to learn more about on Insurance Uncovered, or if you have an idea for an interview, feel free to shoot us an email at uncovered at I'm Kathy Imus. Thanks for listening.